Hi there, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. Today I talked to Dr. Nasser Al-Jafari. He's a functional medicine specialist at the DNA Health and Wellness Center in Dubai, and he's also a member of our expert panel here at Live Healthy. Today, we're talking about long COVID and what he's seeing in patients who are trying to get their strength back and experiencing problems with their heart and their brain and their immune systems. He talks about how what he's seeing after COVID in these patients isn't that much different from people who are struggling with other viruses. And we talk a little bit about vaccines and general health. Hi, Dr. Nasser. It's so good to see you again. How are you doing? Good to be back. Yeah, it, it, we love having you on here. We, I ask you uh, every question that I've had for the last couple of months on my brain, but I wanted to start out talking about long COVID. Um, you know, this has been going on long enough now, and I've heard some doctors talking about treating patients who have had the long haul effects. Have you had some of those patients? Uh, I, I have, incidentally, and, you know, I, I was reading the statistic that uh, I believe 10% of people who get COVID have at least one symptom six months later, and I think it's a lot higher. I think it's around 70, 80% of people who are hospitalized will have a, you know, a symptom or more six months later. We are seeing a lot of it. Um, I, I think it's because, uh, obviously, well, it's perceived to be a new thing although it isn't really, and I'll, I'll elaborate on that sort of in a, in a second. But I, I think it's because it doesn't fit into a typical disease category that certainly most allopathic doctors are used to sort of dealing with. But that being said, on that note, um, we, we've been seeing this. It's just because it's on such a big scale, it's affecting a lot of people. So we see it in other infections, post-Epstein-Var, post-Lyme, uh, people who've been on ITU for a long period of time, uh, you know, will suffer with potentially long-term, very vague symptoms. Um, you know, this is classic, you know, chronic fatigue ME. I mean, these conditions are more a description of your symptoms at the root of it. Uh, you know, there are other things going on. There's immune dysregulation, there's issues with mitochondria. I, I think it's just now because it's affecting so many people, um, it's obviously become come to light um, you know, in, in, in the mainstream, but it, it, it's things that we've been dealing with historically in our practice. Okay, that's interesting. So long COVID, where everyone's so scared of it, you're saying this is a normal reaction when you have the uh, viruses, when you, what's ITU by the way? Uh, IT, intensive, uh, well, I see you, ITU, intensive therapy unit, intensive care unit, oh, I dependency uh, unit. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Whenever yeah, someone's sorry. been very, very, very ill, that's what you're trying to say. Like if they've been. Exactly. They've been okay. okay. Exactly. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to say that it's a normal reaction. It's, 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 it's a reaction that we do see that and in other conditions historically. Okay. So what's going on? Like what, why does that happen? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a million dollar question because often, you know, when clients will go in and have regular testing, um, there's times where nothing particularly shows up. But um, I kind of alluded to it. Uh, it. It seems to be an ongoing immune dysregulation. And also, I mean, if you look at some of the symptoms which affect the brain, affect muscles, so fatigue, brain fog, uh, people complaining of palpitations or, you know, heart issues. If you think about it, I mean, the, these are the areas of the body that have the highest concentration of mitochondria. So I think on a cellular level, there appears to be mitochondrial dysfunction. And, you know, as you know, some of the tests we do may be a little bit different to the hospitals. So we, we are often sometimes employing more detailed in, inflammatory um, analysis. Uh, so we're looking at these kind of cytokines that you may have heard people talking about. It's just a more in-depth look at the immune system. We, we can do tests where we can look at how effective uh, you, you know, you, your mitochondria are producing energy, whether you, know, you require more nutritional support, whether there's high levels of oxidative stress or inflammation as a result of the cells and mitochondria not working efficiently. So, so that, I believe, is a, is a root of it. So you don't really know why it happened. You're not really sure. It's like... No, I mean, you know, again, I suppose if we're homing in on, you know, COVID itself, there may be some slight specifics that will come in time and, and, and it evolve. I mean, there's many studies going on at the moment, but I mean, that's how, you know, we work in, in functional medicine. I mean, uh, when you're looking at the root cause, uh, me mechanistically, you're kind of applying uh, the logic of how you know the immune system integrates with cellular function, uh, detoxification, you know it, it 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 often you know the processes of the root of it are the are the same. There, there, there may be some slight uh, nuances particular to COVID, but the principles are the, are the same, and and that goes for the principles of, of managing. And actually, you know, and I'm sure we'll go on to it when you look at a lot of the treatments that are being administrative in our in our practice. And actually, some of them are, you know, are, have been and are actively being studied around the world, maybe not so much in the West. Um, you know, they are seeing favorable effects when approaching it from the perspective of improving cellular function and, and, and regulating the immune system. Okay, so first of all, what kind of testing would you do if I came to you and I said I had COVID and I'm having these symptoms of brain fog and exhaustion and palpitations? What would you do? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, I would, I would always start with sort of basic tests of, of, you know, looking maybe just at, you know, blood levels for white cell counts, looking in simple inflammatory markers and other markers of inflammation, ESR, CRP, may have, people may have heard of this terminology, um, maybe, maybe a couple of blood tests looking at whether there's any damage to the heart or, or, the, or the muscles uh, and, and simple nutritional testing. I mean, often... You know, we sometimes forget that, you know, often you can use your clinical acumen and, and tests and, and supplements can, can support that and, and, and also the management of someone. But ultimately, it, it, it often just, as I said, just supports what you originally know. And, and so, you know, with a lot of the clients, we don't necessarily need to do the in-depth testing that I've, I've spoken about. But. Uh, some clients like that support, and if there is any clinical doubt, then it, it as I said, it helps. Um, and, and then in terms of management, yes, supplements exist, but we are the cornerstone is lifestyle. 
uh, ultimately in helping support people in the in their lifestyle. But yeah, beyond beyond the simple tests, um, as we discussed, that I, we've got some quite fancy mitochondrial and cellular testing and a very in-depth uh, immune system analysis. Um, but you know, often you do a test to change your management. So if it's not going to change what I do, then I, you know, often I can do without it. Right. Like, so if you see enough patients coming to you, this is the whole thing about clinical experience. You see enough patients coming to you with these symptoms, you might not have to test them to know what's wrong. That's what you're saying, right? You exactly. And, and often it's done to help the, the, the client, you know, from a behavior change perspective and, and to come on board, because I guess if you think about it, we're, we're operating in a, in a little bit of a, I hate to say, kind of silo and, and, and some of the things that we're doing with clients um, maybe very different to what they're getting in a, in a mainstream system or the advice, you know, even often can be the opposite. I mean, it's not uncommon that clients will tell me that they've been told that nutrition and lifestyle will have no effect uh, on their outcomes. So, um, you know, I like to think that the mindset of the clients, you know, the fact that they end up sat opposite me is, is, is prepped and they know what they're buying into, but sometimes it just helps support the diagnosis and helps them follow through with the protocols that we're, we're talking about. But on that note, I mean, people will say, well, there's no evidence behind kind of that intervention, this intervention. Okay, the evidence doesn't exist maybe on a large scale, but again, we're, we're kind of using theory and we're using the understanding of the mechanism of how, let's say, you know, let's take vitamin C, for example, IV vitamin C. We know how it works on a cellular level. We've seen it impact. There's studies that have backed it up. There's active studies going on now with, with positive outcomes in the patient. Then, okay, ask yourself also at the same time, well, what's the downside of the intervention? Well, if there's no negative impact from the intervention and the current approach isn't helping the client, then why wouldn't you take an informed decision to, to go ahead with that therapy or, or approach? Well, we're in the kind of world, and I, I know you know this, but we're in the kind of world where people will shout science, even if you're saying science and if, you, if you're saying clinical practice, because people do like to trash the alternative functional world. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, and, I, and, 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 you know, I'm not going to deny that there, there may be people who are inappropriately applying uh, therapies or, or treatments or, or plans or whatever you may want to call it. Um, but, but on that whole evidence note, I mean, if you actually delve deeply into the quality of evidence, particularly, I mean, let's just take, you know, nutrition, for example, the, often these studies are very poor quality in terms of how they're executed. And, and at best, sometimes just observational rather than um, suggesting a causality. Uh, and, and, and often, you know, they make good headlines. And, and, and when, you, when you go to the depths of it, you know, when you're applying something to a mouse, for example, a nutritional change, well, it may have a negative effect on a mouse and a positive effect on a human and vice versa, because we're epigenetically designed in a completely different way. Or, you know, if, you, if you're testing a hypothesis, you have to control for certain variables, which may be difficult to control for. So it creates a lot of, a lot of noise. And I've said this before in interviews. I think the whole evidence-based approach, whilst it has value, I'm not saying that you don't need evidence. I think the type of evidence that the mainstream system demands um, is very difficult to apply to the complexities of the health issues that we're experiencing now. It's very easy 
when you're, you're looking at something like an infection and you're applying a treatment like an antibiotic where the outcome is either it's worked or it's not, and you get a very quick uh, outcome at the same time. When you're looking at a nutritional intervention or a supplemental intervention, uh, when there's so many aspects of someone's lifestyle that can interfere in that, and it often plays over a long period of time, it's very difficult to come to a, a, a conclusion or a consensus. Right, right. But you know in your experience that every bite of food you put in your mouth impacts the human you're dealing with right down to their mitochondria. Is that how it sort of works? <laughs> Completely. And, 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 you know, people are asking me all the time, you know, what can I do for the prevention of COVID and when I've got COVID and, you know, the COVID long. And, uh, you know, it's almost like the approach to diabetes, uh, you know, the approach to preventing it and the approach to reversing it is virtually the same. So a lot of the therapies that I've spoken about in terms of certainly supplemental uh, are very similar. And, and also the lifestyle approach, it, 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 it's not particularly sexy. It, it's nutrient-dense, diverse food, uh, particularly rich in phytonutrients. Uh, we, we, it, it's, not, it's not particularly uh, any removed from the sort of advice that we're giving generally to, to, to people. And, and it, it's, it's resting, you know, staying active, but not overdoing it because often there is an adrenal issue. Um, you know, when the body's had a lot of physical or emotional stress and it needs to recover, the, the elastic band doesn't always um, revert back to its uh, normal position straight away. Um, and that can take months. Um, mm. and, 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 and looking at sleep and, and stress control. Um, the UAE government has come out and said, that vitamin D supplementation is a good idea, which I thought was interesting. So just again, to go over for people with, when you're supplementing with vitamin D, what do you need to watch for? Do you need to be under a doctor's care to do it? Should you have your, you know, the, the, I don't think the medical testing is covered by most insurance companies now. So is that something people need? Like, how should they proceed? Yeah. I mean, you know, fortunately with, with something like vitamin D, uh, it, it, it's a very difficult supplement to overdose on, um, but, but often people are underdosing. Uh, you know, it, it's something that I, in an ideal world would be tracked. Um, but, I, but I think, you know, after a period of time, if you've reached a steady state uh, and, a, and a kind of plateau where you know what dose is going to maintain you, then it's maybe something that you don't need to get tracked that, that frequently. But just to reverse slightly, yeah, I mean, it's un, 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 not even in doubt that vitamin D itself is a huge regulator of the immune system. And it's no good just being within normal. We know that if you're in the higher levels of, of normal, you're far more protected. Are you, you know, we're, we're now so far into this. How do you feel about it? Looking at how the world is treating COVID? Like, how do you, because I remember said in the early days, you said it, you said the fear might be worse than the um, uh, the disease when about, yeah. about COVID. And I wonder just all this time later, how you feel about it? <laughs> um, so listen, I, I, I don't think we can deny the uh, impact that it's had sort of medically uh, on people, both kind of directly and, and indirectly. But yeah, I, I think, you know, when, when governments dissect on reflection and it's easy I guess with 2020 I, I, I do wonder whether they'll uh, 
kind of conclude that the approach and then countries have taken different uh, approaches, uh, whether, we, they, whether they did the right thing or whether they moved forward. But as I said, that's with 2020. I, I think the biggest play with governments in general is that you can't have your health services overwhelmed. And I think that this COVID was on such a big scale that, you know, a, a small percentage of a big number is a lot of people admitted to intensive care units, hospitals. Um, and I think that was the, probably the biggest, the biggest concern. I think, you know, the, this country's done a great job in that they've balanced it. So they rolled out a vaccine early and, you know, bar probably a month, it's been pretty much business as usual. And my concern is not naming any countries. I think certain, well, I should say economies that probably are maybe going to see the after effects or negative after effects of, of what's happened because it has to be a balance. And I'm not saying it's an easy decision to make, but um, I just worry about the repercussions economically and then also, you know, things like the, the psychological impact that we've had from the isolation. Um, but I think as, as we've discussed before, the health consequences of the economic impact of, you know, certain, let's say, third world countries maybe that um, supply a, a lot of the uh, companies or products that we're consuming and, and look at the kind of amount of consumption that's going on now, it's dramatically reduced. So I don't think we've yet seen the repercussions. And, and you know, some countries, certainly developed countries have had the ability to support with certain financial schemes um something has to happen to this death um so i, I think it's yet to unravel and i think mental health wise i mean it's you know we're looking from afar but i know in my own country where there were lockdowns for a year my brother was telling me that when you go out and about he said it just feels like everyone's got their chest puffed out and no one's sort of letting you in and he said there's a real palpable really uncomfortable vibe in the in the air. And I thought that was really interesting to hear, but if, if people have been locked away for that long, I, it's not surprising. Yeah, I, I, you're quite right. I think you know, there's, there's been a lasting, probably lasting social impact. So I definitely, I imagine uh, relationships on some level will have changed. I think some for the better, I think people have started to appreciate in some quarters of relationships with family, et cetera, and the importance. But I think, it's in, I think some segments of society maybe created a bit of an apathy and people have become more uh, in, introverted and uh, I think isolated for the, for the long term. I mean, you know, the fact that big corporations are now saying that, you know, people can for the long term work from, from home, there's definitely got to be something that you're missing out. And I, I get it to some degree, but I know from personal experience that there's something that you generate from face-to-face -face meetings or or seeing people that not not even just from a business strategy perspective not more just from a, a social interaction and soft skills and um that's just getting missed on on video conferencing i'm no psychiatrist or psychologist but <laughs> there's no doubt that this is going to have a big issue for us going forward yeah okay so just back to um sort of the physical one thing that we've noticed, and if you look at social media, people are getting so, these antibody tests all over the place. They've turned into like little detectives on their own body and going and getting the antibodies. And I'm hearing people say, my antibodies were great and my antibodies weren't good. And um, what do you think about getting an antibody test if you've had a vaccine? What, 
what's your take on that? Average Joe walking around just telling people what his antibodies are. Uh, well, I think, you know, with any test, it really has to be validated. So um, I think, it, it, again, it sounds logical on the, the surface that if you've got high antibodies, you've got high protection. I think we've also got to dissect, you know, what do we mean by antibodies? So there's a variety of different tests when it comes to antibody testing. And I, I think there's a particular type of antibody neutralizing antibody that you need to test for. I think there's probably very few laboratories that are doing that test. But I think even with that, I don't believe, and I may be wrong, that there's research to tell you that your level necessarily correlates with your protection. Right. I mean, I, I, I would probably extrapolate and say that, you know, if you're, you know, often with these scales, you'll see just at the top end more than a certain value. I suspect yeah. that if you are in that level, then you could probably assume that you're well protected. But what does it mean for the people where your level is two or 20 or 50 or whatever you know, it may be? Um, I, I, I don't think that you can actually read into it a huge amount. Um, so, so I think you know, it, people are enjoying doing the test, but I, I, I think it can be misleading, actually. And I, I, you know, I, I think there's probably a reason why no governments, as far as I know, have recommended it as a kind of screening tool, treatment tool, or a way of monitoring your response to a vaccine, because it's just not been validated. Okay. Now, in Abu Dhabi in particular, where... Um... I think this is also happening in Dubai. You're seeing this on social media. I'm hearing about it. People got the Sinopharm vaccine and then it's not being accepted in their home country. For example, Ireland mm. or Canada. I think it's not accepted in Germany. So people are then going and getting revaccinated with Pfizer or whatever they can get their hands on, even if they've just had Sinopharm, you know, recently. And I just wondered what you think of that practice is that something that's advisable um well i, I yeah I, I corroborate in the sense that i know that locally uh, a lot of people who are immunized with sinopharm now are getting kind of boost seems like booster jabs with with pfizer um i i suspect that comes back to um yeah i mean there has been a variable response uh and i think it's just been the Pfizer has been validated to have a, um, a more robust response. So it would make sense that someone who hasn't uh, maybe developed a good reaction, and I guess that comes back to what we said, how do you know, um, to, to, to go and get that, that booster shot. Um, beyond what the recommendations are, I'm, I'm not a virologist or immunologist, so I, I, it'd be very difficult for me to give a kind of informed decision on whether that's necessarily what they should be doing or, or shouldn't be doing and, and what the long-term effects of that could be. And, and on that point, I don't think anyone can actually accurately tell you what the long-term impact is other than you're likely protected against COVID. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, if you get two, two different kinds of vaccines, yeah. or shots, like, yeah. I, I guess you are. But you wouldn't, if someone did it, you wouldn't say, oh my God, uh, we need to monitor you for the next. <laughs> and no, we, we, no, we just don't, we don't have an accurate way of monitoring. Right. Full right. stop. Um, and have you heard any other new things about COVID that interest you? Are there any, I mean, I've been hearing that it's about the damage to the endothelium that can happen, the inside of the blood vessels. Am I correct in that? 
there, there was, yeah, I mean, there, there is that kind of speculation. I think there's a number of different mechanisms by which it's kind of acting. Um, and certainly it does seem to be having uh, an effect on, on vessels and, and, and affecting particular organs. So coming back to what I was saying, the symptoms seem to uh, be, or the long COVID symptoms seem to be focused around the muscles, the, the heart, the brain. Uh, so that that's I think kind of very just interesting anecdotally. Uh, in terms of kind of therapies and what we're doing in the clinic beyond the kind of oral supplementation advice, I mean, yeah, there's some exciting results around the the high dose IV vitamin C, uh, glutathione, um, nicotinine adenine dinucleotide NAD plus, which is a a molecule which improves, has a different mechanism of action, but improves the efficiency of the mitochondria. So we're definitely seeing some beneficial effects from, from that. Um, we're also using uh, something called peptides, this particular peptides, uh, which mimic certain proteins in the body, which seem to improve uh, T cell function, which is a part of the immune system. Uh, we're not ourselves, but, but I, I have seen uh, favorable results from ozone. Um, there's a lot of studies going on with stem cell therapy. Um, so there's lots of kind of cool, cool stuff that's, that's going on that seems pretty promising. And, and I think there's, there's going to be some robust studies coming out very soon. Okay. That's great. Thank you so much. Thanks for talking to me about COVID. We'll check in with you. Pleasure. Hopefully maybe time we won't have anything to talk about with COVID. That'd be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully the world will have moved on. <laughs> more positive thing. Okay, good. Thank you so much. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.